All right, we are in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, part three, Jesus brings the grace. You should have a note sheet um, that you picked up as you came in. If you're online, that can be downloaded, and we welcome you, those of you who are watching online today as well. Uh, the Word of God is powerful and active, and um, it doesn't matter how we feel at any given point. It doesn't matter what we're going through at any particular point. The Word of God is true. And it's a solid rock that we can stand on, and it's not shifting sand. It's going to be true for us, and it's, and it's strong enough to uphold us and to take us all the way home, just like Don. Yes. So um, when we jumped into the book of John a couple months ago, um, we talked about the Word of God being with God. The Word of God is with God. The Word of God was God. All creation was created through Him. And uh, nothing was created apart from him. He was talking about Jesus being the word of God. And then last, uh, last month we talked about, um, so we're in the Gospel of John, and, and so John is the author of the Gospel of John. And he's starting off this chapter one with testimony, with witness about who Jesus is and what he did. He says he's the word of God. He's with God from the beginning, uh, created the world. And the word of God is, is the light and the, uh, the light of the world, the life and then he said in verse 6, he said, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell everyone about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. And Zion Beck run into my office in my briefcase and grab, my, grab that piece of art. It's in the back zipper. Can you grab it real quick? Sprint. Everybody clap for my son, Zion. Right. Remember to bring it to church, didn't remember to bring it up on stage. <clears throat> yeah. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. And we covered that last, uh, last month. And so today, here's our main text, John 1, 9 through 13. It says, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. A lot of the songs we sing about today had a lot of this language in them. Yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah. All right, point number one today, uh, John 1, 9, our first verse, it says, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Zion, you can bring that right up here. Number one, Jesus is the true light. Thank you. Okay, so here's a picture. Um, so Zion actually created this picture. Ultra embarrassing for him to have to go get his own artwork and then bring it up here for me. But he entered a competition um, in the state with uh, some digital, um, uh, oh, I don't even know what it was all on. He created this on Blender, right, Zion? Is that right? Okay. So he entered it, and um, this one was, uh, the real one went to state somewhere. I don't know where it is. Uh, but that was the second print because we got the scripture reference wrong. So we had to print it, purchase it twice, and, and do it. But I'm glad he did because we, we have a rendering here. You see that light right there? Yeah. 
So that light looked really real to me. And I was like, wow, that, that light like, really looks like it's a real light or a true light. And so I was in the bedroom with the boys, and this is, I had this picture, and I was looking at it for a while, and then I was like, I'm going to turn the lights off and see if that actually... <laughs> I think, I mean, I think it's really light. Turn the lights off and no, it's not real light, but... <clears throat> and you know what? There is a lot of things in this world that maybe have an appearance of light. And there's a lot of worldviews and a lot of truth claims. Jesus is the true light. Yeah. The true light. And um, a lot of self-proclaimed lights out there, false prophets, false religions, claiming to have truth. Jesus is the truth. Didn't just claim to be the truth, proved it. Power over creation, power over sin and death. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but then it, the end leads to death. Uh, the road of Jesus Christ leads to life. The light of men. Okay, um, so I get it. Um, some people may dismiss Christians. They may distrust the church. They may despise organized religion. I'm one of the pastors here, and I don't even like Christians sometimes. I don't like coming to church sometimes. That's just true. That's my flesh sometimes. But Jesus Christ, I, I, would, I would challenge anybody anywhere that hates Christianity, hates organized religion, to study and research the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. To read the Gospels, to become familiar with his character, his motives, his works, his words, his promises. Because um, he is the light of the world. Life Church will have its faults. Our people are not perfect. Everybody who's not perfect, raise their hand. But Jesus is perfect. Yeah, that's right. And that's why we rally around him. Uh, so last month when we were reading, John 1, 4 through 5 says, The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never, ever extinguish it. Ever. Let's go to the next verse, John 1, 10. It says, He came into the very world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. Number two, Jesus is the undercover boss. <laughs> I've never seen this show, but I, I get the gist. It's, so a CEO of a very um, CEOs of, of, of big companies, large successful companies, um, they go into the interview process and or show up on the job um, at one of the lowest positions to kind of spy on their own company and, and to get a gauge of the general health of the company and the managers and how things are run and, and so forth. And usually by the end of the show, as my guess, as they reveal themselves, I actually own the, the company. And, um, and that's a big surprise, either positive or negative for <laughs> those he's rubbed shoulders with. So, uh, so this is true. So Jesus creates the world. Hey, we need to say hi um, to some friends from years ago that are here today, uh, Nate and Sarah and their kids who attended here for quite some time. They live up north now. Good to see you, Nate. Good to see you. Your kids are older. Yeah. <laughs> um, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. So Jesus comes into the world. He created the world, and then he steps down into it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's right. And he walks around on soil that he created yeah. 
with people that he created. And they didn't recognize him. The world as a whole, generally speaking, didn't recognize him. Because the real Messiah would look different or act different or fit my preferences or accommodate my schedule or grant me all my desires or overlook my sin or punish my enemies. He'd be of noble birth or he'd rub shoulders with the influential or he'd grasp for the spotlight or the center of attention or he'd lead an army or he'd talk smack about Rome or he would lead a protest, or lead a rebellion, or he'd fight to subdue. And, and Jesus, at least in his first coming, did the opposite of all those things. He dodged the spotlight, he stooped to the lowly, would hang out with sinners and criminals. He's not the Messiah, says the proud and the arrogant and the self-righteous and the self-reliant. John says that people didn't recognize him. How can you be God, Jesus? You don't even look that handsome. You're not stronger than me. You have bad breath just like me. You're not God. You can't be God. And so they didn't recognize him. Says the world didn't recognize him. In fact, number three, Jesus was rejected. John 1.11, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. Rejected him. The Jewish people... Jesus, born of a Jew, Mary, came into the Jewish community, grew up in a Jewish culture, community, spoke the same, spoke the same language. More than that, if anyone should recognize Jesus as the Messiah, it was the Jews who had the Torah, they had the prophecies, the specifics, but they weren't looking for that type of a savior. They were only looking for a savior who would vindicate them and enable them. Sometimes that's the savior we want. We want the one that vindicates us, and enables us, not a savior who would address their flaws, not a savior who would question their motives, not a savior who would require humility and honesty. And so Jesus was rejected of no surprise, of no surprise for anyone who had read the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, over and over again, it says, when God sends the savior to earth, he's going to be rejected by the Jewish community. Psalm 118.22, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. A lot of these prophecies are written in, in past, present or past tense because of the assurance and the certainty that it would be fulfilled. It's already known that this will be fulfilled. Isaiah 8.14, he will be a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So these are Old Testament prophecies. When Jesus comes, Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. After Jesus came, died, rose from the dead, went to heaven, his disciples go out, start preaching the gospel, making disciples, and Peter says, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. These are are just a few. There's a lot of references about the Christ being rejected. It was prophesied it would happen, and it was necessary initially that that would happen. It was necessary for him to die on the cross to be put to death so he could die for the sins of the world. 
Isaiah 53, 3 says, he was despised the 700 years before Christ, 750 years before Jesus. Isaiah the prophet says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Isaiah 49, 7 talks about the nation despising and abhorring the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel. Again, Psalm 22, actually the entire Psalm 22 depicts the crucifixion, the rejection of Christ. Depicts that men would reproach reproach and despise the Messiah. And here's a comic strip. Most people rejected his message. They hated Jesus because he told them the truth. They didn't want to hear the truth. A lot of times we don't want to hear the truth. God help us. God help us to want to hear the truth. Lord, my heart, Lord, can get hard. Lord, help me to want to hear the truth. Help me, Lord. <clears throat> yeah, they hated him. It didn't matter that he'd done indisputable miracles, only that that just made him more mad. I remember when he raised Lazarus from the dead, that really ticked him off that he would do that or that he could do that. They didn't deny that it was even supernatural, but you know what? It impeded on their power and their position, and it exposed their sinful hearts. Yeah. So, um, Jesus was rejected, but John continues, verse 12 of our main text. It says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus came into the world he created, and he came with adoption papers. And he was ready to adopt any and everyone who would accept him. Save people from their sins. Transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. As many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. We're saying, I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. I think of those, um, the stories of someone going into that third world nation, very poor nation, wherever that may be, and everybody's living in cardboard huts, and they see all their ribs, and the kids, their parents are killed in a, in a bomb explosion or something, and and so they're in an orphanage of some sort, and, and uh, someone comes from uh, a nation that's well off or has ability, and they come. And they come to the child, and they see these kids, and they say, uh, and they talk to the agency, and they interact with the kid and says, um, this lady here and I, we would like to be your father and mother. We'd like you to come live with us. And that invite, you know, coming with adoption papers, ready to sign the adoption papers, and that child, you know, in most cases, you know, they would say they'd be excited about that. And usually you see those pictures and they're so excited that someone wants them. Someone cares about them, wants them to be in their family. It's a big deal. Yeah. Um, I suppose if the child just abhorred, did not want anything to do with these people, these parents, then maybe the parents would say, you know, if they don't want us or they, they hate or despise us, then, then maybe that would be wrong for us to grab them or take them at this point in time. But if the child says, yes, then, then it's a done deal, and we sign the papers, and the kids go back, and the agency says, yep, that's cool. They can go with you. Um, Jesus came into this dark world to save any and all who would receive him. Yeah. He's on a rescue mission, coming into enemy territory to save any and all who would call upon the Lord. Seek and save the lost. That is just a cool story about uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was... Uh, Wee little man, and a wee little man was he. 
It's my daughter, Rena's favorite song. She's two, and her favorite story in the Bible. So Zacchaeus, if you, don't, if you haven't read the story, it's in Luke 19. Um, short guy, who's a tax collector, very, very wealthy. Uh, had gotten wealthy a lot of times by dishonest means, uh, it appears, by the context. People despised him. The Jews hated him because it was like a traitor. He's, a, he's working for Rome. He's taking all the Jewish money and giving it to Rome for Rome's dealings and so forth and pocketing a lot of it himself. And, and um, it, it's kind of the idea. So when Jesus comes by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And, and the way Rena says that, Zacchaeus, you come down. So it's kind of a rebuke in her world, but... It was an invitation when Jesus said, come down from there. I want to I go to your house. Zacchaeus, my house? You know who I am? You know who I, you know? And just the fact that Jesus called him by name and says, I want to go to your house. That was Jesus coming to seek and save the lost. Yeah. Saying, I want to, I, Jesus, Jesus brings the grace. Yeah. So Zacchaeus, you messed up a ton in your life. I'm here to bring the grace. Yeah. And Zacchaeus is like, he's pumped. He says, come to my house. And when Jesus comes to his house, Zacchaeus quickly climbs down, took Jesus to his house, great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased because people are judgmental and they lack grace. Yeah. He's gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. There had been a heart change. His actions convey that there's a heart change inside of him in responding to the grace of God and the love of God. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. So also sang a song about new life, a new life. This adoption process, the kid has a brand new life, new family, new circumstances, actually has food to eat, brand new life, and God has come, Jesus has come to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life. Number five, Jesus makes it possible to be born again. John 1.13, they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So I read that, and I read it a couple times, and I thought, yeah, that's correct. Uh, physical births result from either human passion or plan. It's one of those things. Passion or plan. Maybe both at the same time. Depends. But birth that comes from God is a spiritual birth. Born again. And, and this conversation, born again, what does that mean? And, and so John 3 John chapter 3 shows Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And, 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 and Nicodemus is asking that question. Born again, what do you mean? Uh, Jesus replies, verse 3 says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can produce, reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Friends, 
God can give you a brand new life and a brand new start. Not by you being physically born again, but by giving you the Holy Spirit, His Spirit in your life. Don't be surprised then, verse 7, when I say you must be born again. You must be. The wind blows wherever it wants, and just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Well, how are people born of the Spirit? Can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. It's a heart work. It's a response to God's graces and mercies. When a person receives Christ, when they receive his truth and grace, and I'm getting ahead of myself, God gives you the Holy Spirit and you are born again. When you say, my old life, everything I've been living for, my motives, my goals, my ambitions, my morality, what I find meaning or purpose in, my destiny, I am going to switch all those. God, I want what you have for me. You created me for yourself. You know me better than I know myself. I give myself to you, Lord. I'm going to switch from trusting in myself. I'm going to trust from self-reliance, from self-holiness or self-righteousness to a dependency and to a surrender, to a yielding of my spirit and my life and my road come to a fork in the road, I can continue on my path the rest of my life doing as I think is best, as I please, it makes me feel happy in, at all times, or God is giving us an option to respond to his grace and his love and his truth. It's a step, it's a fork in the road, and Jesus is saying people can be born again. Yeah. And that's why he came to earth that people might be born again. Escape the darkness, the wide road that leads to destruction, but the narrow road that leads to life. <sighs> Jesus is full of grace and truth. John 1.14, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John is writing here, and, and you know, the closest I've come to understanding some of this is, is if I live stream with someone in another country, and I... Travis Beck, I can take on plasma and plastic and I can be heard and seen in real time, kind of in another country across the sea. I mean, that my head kind of thinks of, you know, they can hear me, they can see me, they can experience a lot of me through this plat, through a screen. Jesus took on flesh and blood and dwelt among us. God took on flesh and blood, dwelt among us, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Uh, the, the Hebrew says he was full of grace and truth. And so this is kind of two analogies I think will really help us just appreciate those terms a little more. And one uh, question, 
Let's be honest today. Have you ever been pulled over by a police officer? Yeah? A few times. A few times. Look at this kid, huh? Big trouble. Yeah. So, <clears throat> justice means we should, we should get a ticket for speeding. That's what justice means. We should pay a fine. Mercy means that maybe that police officer is going to come and say, I'm just going to give you a warning. I'm going to let you go. I have every right to, and you deserve, deserve a ticket. I'm going to have mercy on you and let you go. That's mercy. We appreciate mercy. Grace is something more. Grace is, you deserve a ticket, but not only am I going to let you go, here's a thousand bucks. Why don't you take your parents out, take your kids out for lunch tomorrow. Have a great day. Okay? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve in the positive sense. Jesus is full of grace. He's full of mercy too, mercy and grace. And he's full of truth. You and I are mostly just full of it. He's full of grace and truth and justice and mercy. So, and then full of truth. And how many of you have been to the doctor before? Okay, been to the doctor, and, and you appreciate it if, you t if they tell you the truth. You don't want them to say, you don't want them to be afraid of alarming you or upsetting you, so then they just tell you that you're fine, and all you need to do is change nothing in your life or diet. Speaks kindly to you, encouragingly, and motivationally, but he's not telling you what you need to hear. How would you feel about this doctor? He says, yeah, just keep drinking lots of water. The whole while, the infection that you have is due to contaminated water. You have, you have arsenic in your water. But he's kind and gentle and encouraging and motivating. That's what you want, right? No, you want truth. Truth. And in this world, there's too much of, let's be kind to everybody and just say what they want to hear because that's the loving thing. That's the hateful thing to do. That's not the loving thing to do. Go ahead, my child, run in the busy street and play and have a lot of fun if that's what you want to do. That's fine. No, that's not fine. Jesus is full of truth, and that's where it gets hard for us sometimes. That's where it rubs against our own will and our, what we want to do and how we want to do things and what makes me happy in the moment because he sees a long picture and he knows how he's designed us. And he wants true freedom for us and true success and true peace and love and joy, not twisted substitutes that end in death or disease or decay or destruction. So Jesus is full of truth. I like this picture here. Um, my kids drive me crazy. I drive them everywhere else. <laughs> I'm on there. But I was thinking, man, so, you know, sometimes <clears throat> we got this patience meter, and some of our patience meters are about that big right there, and so, whoop, oh, hit the patient meter, now we're explode. Eating lunch with a friend, and we were both talking about, as dads, you know, our thresholds, and sometimes we think, I think I'm doing okay right now, and then there's like three things that happen in a row, and we're like, oh, okay, I've hit my limit. <clears throat> but Jesus 
is full of tender mercies and long-suffering, not quick to anger, abounding in mercy, self-control. When dealing with people or just life in general, one can become full of annoyance and offense and anger. Jesus is still full of grace and truth. When one is ready to curse someone, Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. Full of grace and truth. That should mean something to you today. And I don't know where you're at or where you're coming from or what you've experienced in life. Or offers where you think someone's kind or you think someone's forgiving and then you find out they're not. Jesus is full and overflowing. Everything he bumps into gets spilled on with grace and truth. Jesus is a friend to the friendless, friend of sinners. He has enough forgiveness and enough grace to forgive all your sins, past, present, and future, to the day you die. He has a way for you to walk in that he desires for you to walk in. God has a path for you to walk in. He wants you to take the fork in the road, which is his way. He wants you to learn from him. He wants us all to be trained by God to grow in righteousness, to grow in right understanding, to grow in wisdom and discernment. And at the same time, his grace just keeps forgiving us. Every time we trip and fall and, oh, didn't quite make it, oh, I messed up again, his grace is covering us. And his truth is saying, get back on, get back on, do the right thing. It's just, I think, waves of the ocean just coming and just over, coming over you, coming over you, coming over you, and they never stop. Truth, no, this is the right. Don't do that. That's the wrong way. That's not beneficial for you in the long run. Don't do that. You're going to regret that. That's going to harm yourself, harm other people. Let's go on the right road. Let's go on the right road. Let's go on the right road. I messed up again. I sinned. Oh, I'm having these thoughts. I'm having these feelings. I'm doing this. I got grace for you. I got grace for you. I got grace for you. I can cover that. I can take care of that. I forgave you of that. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus is awesome. And John said, we saw his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And, and John's not just saying that. He actually did. He saw Jesus in his glory. Not, so he saw Jesus do miracles, right? He saw him like calm the seas, the raging seas. He saw him heal blind eyes, deaf ears, mute mouths, raise the dead. He saw all that. But besides that, on what, what they call the Mount of Transfiguration, they give it that name because... Peter, James, and John, Jesus invited them up this mountain with them. They get to the top. And when they get up there, all of a sudden, Matthew 17, 1 through 3, six, so it says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John. He led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus, two pillars of the faith from centuries ago. All of a sudden they're alive and they're with Jesus, talking. And Peter, James, and John are facing the dirt. Facing the dirt. 
John says, we have seen his glory. He's not just man. He's the God-man. He's God in the flesh. There's another aspect to him that, that is very significant. We've seen his glory, and we hear more about this. John sees more of his glory yet when he's given the revelation of revelation. He writes the book of Revelation. And he says, when I turn to see, Revelation, we don't have a slide for this, but it's Revelation 1, verses 12 through 18. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, who was wearing a long robe with a gold sash around his chest, and his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes were like flames of fire, his feet were like polished bronze refined in the furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. His face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Jesus is awesome. He's awesome. And so he's full of grace and truth. And number seven, I receive grace and truth through Jesus. Verses 16 and 17, our main text, John 1, 16 through 17. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. One gracious blessing after another. And it's kind of like the waves again. Because through Jesus Christ, we receive right standing with God. Access to God. Love, peace, joy, hope, forgiveness, reconciliation, knowledge, justification, adoption, which we talked about. Inheritance. You have an inheritance. Exceeding riches of grace. Salvation. A good conscience. Comfort, guidance, a friend forever, the presence of God, meaningful work to do, purpose for living, fellowship with God and other believers, victory over hurts and habits and hang-ups, healing from hurts, habits, and hang-ups, spiritual gifts, power of God, prayer, home in heaven, no condemnation, future rewards, provision, protection, restoration of our soul, Promises from God, call to ministry, fear, uh, freedom from fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Romans 8.32 said that since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Won't he? Yeah. Yeah, if he's giving his dear son to die on our behalf, and Jesus was excited to die for us, he wanted to save us. Will God not give us all of everything else? Uh, what I just listed. And then it says, the law was given through Moses. What is that about? Why does he mention that? Because the law was given through Moses. The shalls and the shall nots. The do's and the do nots. And I don't know anyone who would argue. Um, I'm sure there's some that will. Um, obstinate, 
But who, would, who would argue against the Ten Commandments, that it's, it's, good, to not, to, it's good to honor your father and mother, it's, that you should not kill, that you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, you should not covet, you should worship God alone, not idols, right? Um, you shouldn't blaspheme God. So here's Ten Commandments, and the law is good, but because it's good, it reveals our sin. And it reveals, you know, the hate or the lust in our own heart. None of us have kept all these Ten Commandments without fault. None of us stands uncondemned by them. We definitely feel that, that weight, which was the purpose. That's why God gave the Ten Commandments. Why did God give the Ten Commandments? So that we would know how holy and right and just God is. And we would recognize our need for his grace in our life. We would recognize our need for Jesus Christ so we could experience forgiveness and renewal. Look at this, Romans 3.19. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. Well, I'm better than Hitler. Yes, a lot of us may be. But looking at the Ten Commandments of are you perfect or are you a sinner, we're all sinners. We're all in the sin boat. It's to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. Galatians 3.24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So we come to the fork in the road, and we can continue to live by our flesh or by our own mind or our, our best strategies, or we can live by faith. We can live by faith in God, faith in his Son, faith in the graces and the truths of God. And in doing that, we can be filled with his Holy Spirit who will then begin to teach us the ways of God and fill us with the fruit of God's Spirit. He'll nurture us from the inside out as we learn and as we're obedient and as we participate and as we're trained and as we're forgiven by Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Uh, another verse is not up there, Romans 5.18. Yes, Adam's one sin, Garden of Eden, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Real powerful. Uh, talking about Moses and the law of Moses, look in Deuteronomy. This is what Moses said. This is, this is neat. Chapter 18 Verse 15, Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Like, it's good for you to listen to me. You guys should listen to me. You must listen to him. There's going to be another prophet like me. You must, reminds me of John the Baptist. The one coming after me is greater than I am, and I am not even worthy to unlace his sandal. I can't take his sandal off his foot or put it on his foot for him because I'm not worthy for that. Moses said the same thing. And then God speaking, verse 18, I, God, will raise up a prophet like you, Moses, from among your fellow Israelites. I'll put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I command him. Jesus said, I only speak that which the Father tells me to say, and I only do that which the Father tells me to do. Jesus is the only one that was 100% Holy Spirit-led. I walk in the Spirit sometimes, and sometimes I revert to just acting in the flesh. 
like yesterday. So yesterday, you're going to clean the garage for an hour. An hour, the boy's helping me. We'll get it done in an hour. Three and a half hours later, an allergy's going nuts. And then, oh, okay, now I've got to shower quick because I guess our daughter has a, a soccer game. So let's get to the soccer game. We lose the soccer game. <laughs> we swing by Icky Sticky so my son's is a gift card. He wanted to run in and get something. I sit out in the parking lot for half an hour because everybody in Mount Harbor wanted to go to Icky Sticky. And we get home, and I think, I've got to work on the sermon some more. And I'm tired already. And so I start reacting in the flesh. Jesus Christ never reacted in the flesh, not one time. He always was reacting to the Holy Spirit. He was only speaking and only doing what God wanted him to do at all times. His only one that he was trying to impress was God all the time. His life came and his joy and his everything, his fuel was God. So awesome. And so... uh, God has that for you and I. He has that grace and that truth for us. And we can default to the flesh, but we have the opportunity at all times to defer to the Holy Spirit in trust and obedience. And we're a work in progress, and we'll never be perfect until we get to we cross the finish line, and then we'll definitely be perfect. Body, soul, mind, spirit. That would be awesome. Hebrews chapter 3, 1 through 6. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would later reveal. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house. What's the house? We are if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. It's a great scripture. could reflect on that one for a while. Number seven, final point in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. None of us have ever seen God, not in his fullness, But Jesus has revealed God to us. You want to know what God's like? You want to know what his character is like? His motives are like? You look at Jesus Christ, and then you know. Jesus has revealed that Jesus is God, took on flesh, dwelt among us. Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. John, in, in this Chapter 1 of the book of John, the gospel of John. John is declaring that Jesus is the true light. He's the undercover boss. He's full of grace and truth. The one that all humanity needs to receive in order to experience new life, become a child of God. I 
I believe for many of you, God has come after you today. And he's put the fork in the road before you. And you're sitting in your chair, you're watching online, and you're thinking, wow, this is a decision to make here. If I stay on my own road, do life my way, if I surrender my life to God, what's he going to do? Is he going to send me to Africa to be a missionary? I don't want, scary, right? I don't want to give my life to God. He might make me do God loves you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's capable of giving you thoughts and desires that you don't have right now. All of a sudden, if you have thoughts and desires for something, like if I want to watch the Chicago Bear game, right? But what if all of a sudden I don't have that desire and I have a different desire? God can give us new desires. He's not going to make me want to watch the Packer game, I'll tell you that. <clears throat> Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So some of us are at a fork in the road. And Jesus is saying, all who are thirsty, come to me, and I'll give you living water. He says, I'm the bread of life. Come, eat of me. He says, come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. And so that's a decision that only you can make. And it's an awesome decision to say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I'm a sinner. It's kind of a two-step process. You admit, I'm a sinner. I need your grace and your truth in my life. Jesus died for your sins. He died on the cross, and he desires to give you his Holy Spirit. Doing those two things, God, I'm a sinner. I trust you. I surrender my life to you. I want to be adopted by you. That means I go to your home. That means I learn to do things your way. And um, your life will never be the same. Never be the same. Still have difficulties, have ups and downs, but now you have a new king. And you have hope for eternity. And you have his spirit inside of you. So... If that's a decision that you want to make today, um, you say, yeah, I'm crossing that line. You can make it in your own seat. Maybe you already made it as I was just talking. You say, I'm doing that. And then you did it. Awesome. Awesome. We would love to encourage you and pray with you. There'll be people up front that can pray with anybody for any reason after the service. But um, as the worship team comes up and we close, um, make use of that. And then at guest service in the back, I think there's some materials back there too that'll just help you take some baby steps in your faith and in getting to know God to know Jesus better. So, Father God, I thank you for this morning. Oh, you're awesome. We thank you, Lord, for being greater, more powerful, wiser, Lord, than any of us, and, um, and that you're full of grace and truth, Lord. That is so comforting and so liberating, so freeing. It gives us such confidence, tremendous confidence. We are grateful for you, Lord, and uh, for your activity in our lives. I thank you for even today the way you've sought out, Lord, the people in this room and those watching online, Lord, the way you've extended your hand 
the way you've revealed your character and your motives. Lord, you want people to know the true you. And the world's full of lies about who you are and what you stand for or why you are the way you are or, or they'll deny you or deny your existence. Lord, you want to speak for yourself. You want people to know you personally. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ so that we could do that very thing. Thank you for the great love you have, Lord, for every person in this room, no matter where they're at, Lord, where they're standing, what's going on at work this week, what's going on in the family, how their health feels, Lord. You know every ache and pain. You know every stressor, Lord. You know the seasons of life that we're in, that we're coming out of or that we're going into, Lord, and, and you are with us always, even until the end of the age. And with that, Lord, we commit our trust again this morning in you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.